Good morning. My name is Scott Slater. I serve on the bishop's staff at the Diocese of Maryland, and I bring greetings from Bishop Sutton and Bishop Eloff, who has just returned uh, part-time to assist us. Bishop Eloff was Bishop Sutton's uh, predecessor. And also to bring greetings from the rest of the diocese and staff to thank you for being part of the over 100 congregations and agencies that comprise the Diocese of Maryland, and to thank you for all the ways that you all as a congregation embody Christ's presence and Christ's light, not only within these walls and within the bounds of your property, but for all the ways that you reach out as a congregation and individually in your own life and in your own baptismal ministry to share Christ's light with the world in your daily lives. Thank you. I'm also delighted to be serving alongside my colleagues Jason and Corby, who is here because I'm here, so you can, I want some credit for that. Um, so, and uh, that was going to be a surprise when I was going to be here in, in uh, last October, and then I got called away for a family death, so Corby arranged to be here again today as a surprise for you all. So it's great to be serving alongside you all up around the altar. Now, today is a beautiful day outside, very different than yesterday. And uh, I'm grateful because it'll make, I hope my sermon sound a little bit better since we're in the middle of Epiphany, which is a season of light. As I hear Corby reading the Gospel of John this morning, and I hear the choir singing that wonderful anthem, I keep hearing all this, behold the Lamb of God, Lamb, Lamb, Lamb. We're going to hear, we're going to sing about lambs even some more before we're done here this morning. And while that's a wonderful image, there are a lot of other parts of John's Gospel that I just still struggle with to this day. I will admit that John's is not my favorite Gospel among the four, because at times I find it confusing. It presents a very different timeline, for instance, for the ministry of Jesus than the other three Gospels. It's, it presents, a, in fact, a sort of a different Jesus than the one I imagine from the stories in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so even after three years of seminary and almost 30 years as an or, in ordained ministry, I can still get confused by what Jesus has to say, especially in John's Gospel. And yet there are these parts of this Gospel that I love because they are in John's Gospel only, like the imagery of the Lamb of God. That's very unique to John's Gospel. I love the thematic imagery, especially in this section of John's Gospel of light and dark that weaves throughout this first half. That theme of light and dark is especially powerful at this time of year, the season after the celebration of Epiphany, when daylight is once again increasing ever so slightly every day as we wake up to remind us in a very tangible way of Christ's light continuing to increase and expand in the world around us. And so in today's gospel passage, we hear John talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God a couple of times, and well, that's fine, great. We hear a recap of the baptism of Jesus, which we just heard about um, a couple of weeks ago, and we've got that. John, the gospel writer, makes it clear to us that John the Baptist is not the Messiah, and that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, and that John knows that Jesus is the Messiah, and that John knows that he is not the Messiah. So that's fine. We all get that. And then the scene shifts in this passage to the next day. 
So John the Baptist apparently is hanging out with a few of his disciples, not unusual, and Jesus comes along again, and John once again says, Behold the Lamb of God. We know that that's coming, almost. We expect that. But then something really odd happens, even odd by the context of John's gospel. John's, two of John's disciples just walk away with Jesus. They leave John behind completely, we presume, and follow Jesus completely, we know. Now, to be clear, there's no indication that Jesus invited them to follow him. The gospel simply reports that they stopped talking to John and started walking behind Jesus. We know this because it is reported that Jesus, at some point, turned around, saw these guys following him, and say, says to them, what are you looking for? Now, we can interpret that in all kinds of ways. I mean, I can sort of picture Jesus with his eyebrows sort of downturned, or he could be excited, and his eyebrows could be up. I, my eyebrows tell a lot about me. That's why I would never play poker successfully. But we don't know because we don't have a picture. We only have what John is telling us in this passage. What are you looking for? Jesus asks. Now notice that they don't answer him with an answer. They answer him with another question. They ask him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And then Jesus answers them by saying, Come and see. Come and see. This is one tiny little phrase in this long narrative from John. And this phrase, come and see, may seem rather simple on the surface. But we suspect that John has much more in symbolic intent behind this simple exchange that we're seeing this morning. Come and see is a sort of an odd phrase in an odd story, in an odd scene. And many scholars believe that John wrote much of his gospel symbolically, not literally, which would explain some of the discrepancies chronologically between the other three. And again, Lamb of God was a unique phrase that John used. But why in this scene this morning, why did the disciples want to know where he was staying? I mean, that just seems weird to me. But perhaps it was a rhetorical device that John used so that Jesus could say, come and see. Now, in my opinion, and I'm not a biblical scholar, I'm, not a, I'm a disciple, much like you are, but not in the same capacity as these others, I would have less, been less interested in where Jesus was staying as to where he was going. Because if I were going to follow him, I would be really, really much more interested in what I was getting myself into, especially knowing thousands of years later where it was going to take them all down the road. So again, it's odd for Jesus to, 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 for them to ask, where are you staying? But it's, I really hear Jesus turning it to the question of where are we going when he says to them, come and see. So it's an invitation. Jesus has invited them to come with him and to see what he sees, to experience what he sees. And we know that's going to be a lot. 
And in this small phrase, I hear a foreshadowing of what we're going to hear about in the next chapter of John, the story of Nicodemus, this great religious leader following Jesus, but coming to him in darkness and having him, his own perspective enlightened by what Jesus has to share with him. John uses this imagery of light and darkness over and over again. And so when we hear, when I hear, come and see, it's like we're just getting another taste of that. And it's exciting. Now when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't necessarily know what he's getting himself into, but Jesus brings new light to him in that physical darkness And Nicodemus, in that moment, is able to see more deeply than just with his eyes. He can see with his heart, and it transforms him. So again, this theological tension in John between light and darkness, and also, one might say, between John and Jesus in these early chapters. And also, I want to pose that it's also about the tension between staying and moving. Again, all captured in that one little dialogue. Where are you staying, Jesus? Come and see. Because Jesus wasn't just staying much of the time. He was moving. We are all part of that Jesus movement, as our presiding bishop refers to it. And so to abide with Jesus, to stay with Jesus in that sense, is to really move with Jesus. Jesus requires us to go with him because Jesus is always on the move. So come and see means come, follow me, and we're going to see great things together. If you want to see me, if you want to experience me completely, then you have to be willing to travel. You have to be willing to get up and to move with me. Three years ago, I had the wonderful opportunity during a sabbatical to do some movement of my own across northern Spain, walking for a month on the Camino de Santiago, one of the oldest Christian pilgrimage routes in in Christianity. Pilgrims have been walking this route for over a thousand years, sometimes from as far away as Poland or southern Italy. I only walked from the Pyrenees in France, and it still took me a month. And I walked every day with hundreds of other pilgrims. 273,000 people completed that Camino at least the last 100 kilometers the year that I did it. So it's become very popular again. Now, all of us were moving in the same direction, sometimes at a completely different pace, sometimes from northern routes or southern routes, many of us on the same route from the Pyrenees, but we were all going in the same direction toward the same destination. Again, for me, it took a month of walking because I averaged about 15 to 18 miles a day. I was walking faster than some, walking slower than others. 90% of us were on foot. Some people were doing it by bicycle, even a few on horses and one on a donkey with his chihuahua riding on the top. Now, night after night to night, depending on how much I could walk that day, I never knew where I would be staying that night, typically. I was relying on the trust of the hospitality of the towns along that route. Much of of 
whom ex the, many of those towns exist simply to host pilgrims as they're traveling that route. And there were a lot of us that month that I was walking in September, and so there were a couple of nights I would get to a town and there was no room left in any of the hostels. One night I had to sleep outside with about 20 other pilgrims in a band shell because that was the only room left. A couple of nights I had to upgrade to a hotel and experience the luxury of a full-size bathroom and a towel. That was a big deal, let me tell you. But most nights, I was staying with strangers, some of whom I may have met earlier that day and walked with, some of whom I might have walked with a month or, or a, a week earlier and reuned with as we, get, as we surprised our, each other by showing up that night in the same hostel. But we were all moving in the same direction, slowly and steadily toward the same place. And although the path that we walked from the Pyrenees to Santiago, the town on the northwest corner of Spain, was the right path for us, trod by many, many pilgrims for centuries, I could have done another route. I could have done the northern route. I could have done one of the two Portuguese routes. I could have walked from Sevilla in the south. I had choices about how I walked, when I walked, and how long I walked. But what I do know is that no matter what I chose to do each day, God stayed with me on that walk. God stayed with me because God stays with us even when we are moving. Just as the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, God wandered with them. God stayed with them when they got distracted at times, when they slowed down, when they needed to do a little more interior work before they moved on to the next place. But God always abided with them, even when they were on the move, because the God we follow is a nomadic God. The story of salvation history is a story of God on the move, dwelling first in tents, always willing to pick up and move on to where God was needed. So God stayed with me every step of the way as I walked slowly across, Wayne, uh, across Spain that summer. And tomorrow, because walking is a big deal to me, I see one of my fellow walkers here visiting. Tomorrow I plan to participate with many others in our diocese, uh, led by many of our youth in the annual Martin Luther King Jr. parade in downtown Baltimore. Dr. King's fame grew after a speech he gave in a march in Washington for civil rights, a march that probably all of us are aware of and a speech that many of us have probably heard or read a number of times. And that march was indeed a movement, part of a movement, a physical movement. You can't march if you're just sitting or standing still. It requires movement. And so tomorrow, we will move. Those of us participating in that parade will march. We are part of a movement that continues and is within a greater context of struggles for social justice in our world that did not end in the 1960s. We will march to remember Dr. King and the legacy he left behind as a result of his death and life. We will march for justice as the causes he fought for still struggle to be resolved and be repaired in our time. We will march against what our bishop refers to as the unholy trinity of racism, poverty, and violence 
that continues to wage war for so many in our world. And we will march because the battle is not over. It's far from being over. We, can, we Christians today continue to march on because we continue to follow a nomadic God, a God who invites us continuously to come and see. And so for us to abide with God, to be willing at all times and in all places to abide or dwell or stay with God, we need to be on the move because God is on the move. And so we continue to march, to march for freedom, civic freedom and spiritual freedom. We march for social and economic justice. We march for equality. We march for the dignity of every human being as our baptismal covenant asks us to do. And as we continue to march wherever God takes us beyond these walls in our daily lives, Jesus continues to invite us to come and to see. Come follow Jesus and abide in his love no matter where it will take us. See the works of love that are manifested as we, the body of Christ, live and move as Christ's living presence in the world today. So my friends here in the Diocese of Maryland and here at St. Andrews and here in Pasadena and in the surrounding areas, please don't just sit there. Move. Come. Come and see. Christ isn't just here in this space, although Christ is here. Clearly, Christ is here. But we don't have to come here to experience Jesus in our world. But when we do come here, we gather as a community to be fed by Christ's presence and word and sacrament and the bread and the wine that we receive at this altar. But Christ is also out there. We carry Christ out into the world within our very bodies when we leave here, but we also encounter Christ in the world through the humanity we encounter in our daily interactions. So come and see what God can do with us today in this place, through us today, beyond this place, as well as we all follow the Spirit's lead to encounter Christ everywhere and in every time. And as we engage the world continuously in the reconciling power of Christ's love in our lives and in the ways that we share that love with those we encounter every moment. Amen.